I monitor the metrics of how many people listen and for how long they listen. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> the cutoff is 44 minutes. That's why religious tea is always at the end. <laughs> I've just, I've just realised that. I'm getting some really heavy breathing down the, the line, and while that may be turning on religious tea. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to The Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic and humanistic conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, get an interesting conversation for you to listen to. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, at Adam Reeks on Twitter, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality, and down the line with me we've got uh, a whole bunch of heathens who weren't heathens for a very long time, they're now heathens, and one is doing some reverse heathen work, but you're all familiar with him. That's the religious terrorist, a tourist. How are you, sir? I'm a bit snotty, but I'm alright. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. And uh, also with us, we've got at Pastor Apostate, that's P-A-S-T-O-R, because uh, the other sort of pastor, that'd be ridiculous. Uh, Dan, how are you, sir? (laughs) I'm doing well. Pleasure to have you. And finally, at Son of Samuel, Dennis Augustine, how are you? I'm, I'm doing very well, recovering well from my birthday celebrations yesterday. Well, happy birthday and uh, Thank re- you. recovering from uh, religion in a sense as well. Uh, as well, yes. <laughs> we'll get into all of that because uh, there's sort of a, a mix and match here. We've got an atheist who's trying 12 different religions and we've got two ex-pastors who are trying one type of atheism. So it's all back to front, but I thought it might be... <laughs> A little uh, bit of an interesting chat to get everybody together and sort of compare notes and see what we can come up with. Dan, you're um, so Pastor Apostate. What's your history? Where are you from and what's your history in a brief nutshell? I'm from uh, the Midwest in America, of course. I was raised in a um, very committed, conservative, evangelical home. Got, quote-unquote, saved when I was six. And then, again, when I was 13, I was unsure it's that's not too uh unfamiliar thing for a child of in, in that situation to go through got a little bit serious about my faith as much as a 13 year old could um until hit a little bit of freedom 15 and a half summer hits uh friends got some cigarettes want to drink a beer start going that route and so kind of went that way went away from uh my faith for the next six years the funny thing is I would have never said that I wasn't a Christian. Uh, a lot of Christians go through those types of phases, and I just would have probably considered myself a, a backslidden Christian. I, I, probably, I didn't really, really think about it much at all, to be honest, just having a good time and going to church when my parents made me, and otherwise I'd stay home. Then I joined the military when I was 21, and that took me to Fort Bragg, where I stayed for a year. I joined the National Guard, but it was after 9-11, so a lot of us got called up to regular duty, and so I, I did a year at Fort Bragg. I felt lonely. Uh, my grandma just died. I was kind of heartbroken over that. Uh, missed my friends, missed my family. Just felt empty, I would say. Felt alone. Just really turned back to God. Uh, it, it was a complete 180 switch. Um, I was the life of the party <laughs> involved in what I would have called fornication at that point. I wouldn't say I was an alcoholic, but I was a heavy drinker. And I pretty much dropped all that. Not instantaneously. I struggled with a few things, but over a period of a couple months, it was, it was pretty much gone. I was a new man and, and just had such an appetite to get into the Word and, and to read Christian books and, and to go to church and experience of what Christians would call repentance. A lot of tears, a lot of tears. 
kept going that route, went on another deployment to Iraq. The thing about Army deployments is a lot of times you have a lot of downtime. And so I was a voracious reader, just had such an appetite to know everything about the Bible, to, to really want to know the truth. If, if you know anything about Jerry DeWitt's story, it's very similar. Me and him, our brand of Christianity was a little different. I wasn't a Southern Pentecostal, but his appetite to want to know and to want to be dead on, uh, that's exactly how I was. And so those two deployments especially afforded me a lot of time to just read and read and read and read. And I eventually felt a call to ministry. I ended up joining into a, a local church training where you don't go away to seminary, but the pastor on, on staff trains you, mentors you, takes you under his wing. It's real intimate, really uh, based around shaping a quote-unquote pastor's heart. I was doing that while still reading and had a job where I could listen to nothing but, you know, eight hours a day of Christian teaching if I wanted to. And so I, I did that for years and was eventually licensed as a pastor in 2006 and then ordained in 2008. Even before the licensing, I was already starting to speak pretty regularly. And then towards the, I'd say the last two years, I was speaking pretty much three out of four Sundays and me and the lead pastor would actually get up there together and kind of tag team each other. Started to have doubts in 2010. When you have those doubts as a pastor, even doubts as is there a God? It started out with, is hell just? And then it moved to, is there a God? And I started seeing some things in the scriptures um, specifically concerning the second coming of Christ. I was too intellectually honest to buy into the bad harmonizations and the bad answers that were given in all the commentaries. And so I never really dealt with those things. I, I pushed them down because you're preaching and you don't want to believe them. Let's deal with that right now. The second coming of Christ. Uh, has, has that yeah. happened yet? Has it happened yet? <laughs> yeah. What's up to lately? It's uh, uh, well close to 2,000 years. Uh, if you're a preterist, you'd say, if you're a full preterist, yeah, you say he, he has come back. That's how they get around it. Ah, okay. And then they, <laughs> they shy away from the bodily resurrection. You sort of headed in another direction from there. Well, yeah, in my direction I went in was disillusionment with my church situation, uh, not feeling like what I was seeing around me was what the New Testament talked about, and just wanting more, wanting something different, and just getting all kinds of conflict anywhere you went with that. And so I just started popping my head up and just saying, you know, is this real? Should I start to question all this? And it wasn't until I gave myself permission, and that's the big key. I gave myself permission to think outside of the walls of the Bible. And, and that's the thing a lot of people don't understand about Christians is there's Christians with amazing minds. I mean, there's some brilliant Christian thinkers out there or, or any other religions. It's just they don't allow themselves to think independently of the Bible. They can do apologetics all day long, that's fine. But they never, they never, never, never allow anything else to come up equal with the authority of the Bible or above it. So you, you can never test, you can never really truly test the Bible against anything, science or whatever you want to bring against it, because the Bible is the ultimate authority. Hmm. It's not until you take down that wall that you're willing to say, hey, I'm going to pursue knowledge truth wherever it takes me. And, th and that's a big leap. That's a huge leap for someone like myself. For, for a Christian liberal, not that big of a leap. But for someone who, who is from the brand of Christianity I'm from, 
big deal. So Dennis, at Son of Samuel, how does your story perhaps differ? What's your background? How did you get to where you are? You know, I was born into a family of ministers. So my father, uh, who my Twitter handle is named after, Son of Samuel, was Samuel. He was a pastor uh, in Dominica in the West Indies. I was uh, raised to believe my mother is a minister. And as I mentioned before, my uh, sister went to the same seminary I did. So it was a bit of the family business and just how my mind was set up from an early age. I went through a period, I guess, uh, as, as many uh, pastor's kids do, of, uh, I guess, quote-unquote, rebellion and uh, independence. Following the death of my father when I was about uh, 19 years old, I went to Dominique in the West Indies and saw the outpouring of love for him. Uh, some years later, I went down there and a lady stopped me at a corner store and, and said that she knew my father. And the one thing that she had to say about him was that uh, he loved them so much. And I thought that was probably the biggest compliment I'd ever heard paid to any man. And at that moment, I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life was really was to, to love people and to share at that time uh, the gospel with them to do following my father's footsteps. And that's what really what launched me into the ministry. I returned to Canada. I'm from, live in Toronto, Canada and, and served in Toronto. I went to seminary up in, the, in Canada, in Peterborough, actually, close by and served in Toronto for a number of years as a minister in a Pentecostal church. My time in seminary was really where my faith started to unravel. I think my faith was probably strongest before I started my training for, to be a minister. And things really started to ravel there as I began to be exposed to things about uh, how we got our, the canon. And I, Dan mentioned conservatives' reliance on biblical authority. And that's really when I started to learn how we got our canon, how the, the decisions were made, how uh, people cast ballots to pick to pick the books. And, and all of the, the infighting and how unreliable the, the source material was, all of those sorts of things started to raise red flags with me. And I guess one of the biggest red flags was when we started to discuss those types of things that we were encouraged really not to talk with the laity about that too much in depth because they really wouldn't be able to handle it, quote unquote. And really those types of things really started to set the, the wheel spinning in my head. Uh, I set, set them aside, those doubts, as one does. I think, once again, like Dan mentioned, you, you don't give yourself permission to doubt. Being an analytical person from, from a young age, and my father as well, also a brilliant man. And I'll echo again what Dan said. There are a lot of really smart people who are believers. And often in the atheist community, we oft, too often deride believers as being stupid yes, or, uh, or not thinking. I know from experience that uh, my father was probably one of the smartest men that I know, that I was no fool, that uh, he taught me from a love, uh, young age to, to love the truth and to take it wherever it leads. Uh, he looked at the evidence and he came to different conclusions. And I think I even as, you know, retrospectively, I look at him and the things that I saw, the books that I saw him reading and not talking about, the types of conversations I saw him having with colleagues and, and swallowing his words. And I think he probably went through a lot of the same uh, struggles that I did. I think he died probably around the age of, uh, just before his 50th or just after there, if I remember correctly. I think he just probably ran out of time. I don't know if he was uh, perhaps on the track to figure out the same things that I did, but I'm really thankful that I did. Having said so, it was probably one of the hardest things in my life. I came to the point where I was serving as a minister for a number of years. I was in the poll and I just couldn't in good conscience believe the things that I said I believed anymore. And there's young men, young women, people looking to me, telling me how, to, you know, asking, how do I live my life? And I've got to be able to say with in good conscience, you know, that this is the way to go. And I couldn't do it. Hmm. So I, I called up the senior minister who had planted me in the church where I worked and I, I quit. I think it was a Friday. <laughs> and on Sunday, I was lost. I didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't know hmm 
where to go. I had no friends, no career. The only thing that I actually knew was a little bit of software development. I'm actually a software developer and business analyst. I've been doing that for the last 15 years. And once again, thanks to my father, because he was a, a technophile, probably some of the first personal computers you could buy. And that was the other thing that I knew was computers. So I've been doing that ever since. When I left the ministry, um, the, the only other marketable skill I had was software development, something I knew about computers. I went into that as I kind of just rebuilt my mind and psyche. I tried to find a place for God in my life. It was initially a, you know, a little bit of a kinder, gentler version. Uh, my belief in hell was one of the first things that had to go, obviously. <laughs> and I spent a number of years really trying to uh, struggling through that. I've got one question. You, you mentioned sure. some of the things talking about being able to give answers to your congregation in good conscience. And one of the things that fascinates me about organized religion and churches is tithing. Uh, when you began doubting yourself, was asking people for money to support that cause one of the things that caused you difficulty? No, not not in the least. There was a lot that we did and that I continued to do that definitely I felt had value to those people. So, you know, I was not a television evangelist who had a large income. I actually, while, while I was a minister, I worked a part-time job. My father, when he served, he worked full-time in the church, and he worked part-time uh, doing construction to support himself. So that was my situation as well. Uh, I visited their families. I was at their bedsides when they were sick and in the hospital. I was there for their funerals or when they died, and I didn't have a problem, you know, mm-hmm. asking for a few dollars to pay the bills so I could show up at church to serve them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people have sometimes the the mis, you know the misconception that a lot of people are in this. No one's in, in ministry. Very few, I should say, are in ministry to get rich. That's the vast right. majority of ministers are poor, mm. um, yeah. and we don't do it for the money. I didn't do it for the money. I know my That's father right. doesn't, didn't, and my mother, who's still a minister. Uh, does not. So no problem asking for money now. Well, the good thing, I suppose, that's come out of this already is that I've adjusted my view. Well, there you go. Hmm. And Religious Tea, your thoughts on what's happening so far with these guys? The one bit I'd like to uh, echo is something that I've kind of picked up over the last uh, year of talking with uh, people who are religious is that there is that genuine idea in the atheist community that if anyone believes in God, all of a sudden removed from the intellectual herd. The amount of conversation I've had with people who have the exact same information I do and know of it, they're not ignorant, but they just take the data in a little bit of a different way. I spoke to a Muslim for three hours during uh, during Ramadan when we were both starved of food and water and on the verge of death halfway through, and we, we spoke about physics, generally for about, and I, I'm not the most intelligent person on physics, but we, we had, as far as I could tell, pretty much the exact same information, and we differed on one small point. And that small point sent us in two entirely different directions. So, yeah, there's, there's this weird kind of idea that anyone who's religious is, is not up to much. And I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to say that's something that my view has changed on over this last year. Yeah, and Matt Dillahunty mm-hmm. points out often that he didn't become more intelligent when he stopped believing in God. Right. So, even though there's a study out that I disagree with, we've discussed previously on the show about it, demonstrating that atheists are smarter than believers i think that was a misinterpretation of the data and it was designed to skew the results so i don't think we have any faculties that the religious people don't i think it's just well i mean practically speaking how would that actually work the moment i say i don't believe i i can't suddenly jump a few iq points i mean just as a matter of logic it, it doesn't work so obviously i was 
just as intelligent. The moment I stopped believing is when I, you know, when I did. I've seen those statistics as well as far as education, and I just wonder how many other factors play into it, especially the whole scene of going to a university and opening your mind to new things and being around other people of all different backgrounds, of all different faiths. Those types of things have great effect on people's faith, I think, more than just the simple fact of they're learning more. It's their world is no longer so insular, and now it's, it's, it's gotten a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. There's definitely something to be said for that. And there's also, I think, the one thing that, I, that I've noted with myself is that I used to compartmentalize my mind. Yes. So there was definitely a part of me that was rational and did that research and, and asked those questions. But there was a line after which I couldn't cross. That, you know, you have to do mental gymnastics to make it all work out in your mind. And it's, it's really, really stressful. Uh, especially if you are a, an analytical, rational person, it can be, become very stressful. I think it's probably part of that as well, that they do see the, the connections, they do see your argument, but there's a line at which they can't cross, conclusions that they must make. So that does end up making religious people look like they're crazy when they follow the arguments all the way through and then do not aren't willing to accept the, the, the logical conclusions. But, you know, I think it's kind of that religious schizophrenia that you kind of ha- have to adopt. Yeah. So, Dan and Dennis, have your humanitarian views changed since losing your faith? And also, how do you now view organized religion? Do you view it as beneficial to humanity as a whole or harmful? My love for humanity hasn't changed. I mean, that's part of the reason why I got into pastoring is because I loved people and cared for people and wanted to help people. You know, you're convinced that you're in the truth and you want them to know that truth. And so your love extends them in that way, as well as it does giving them a cup of water and and, and food to eat. But no, what changed for me is the conflict inside of looking at these people and saying they're going to hell. Looking at my children and saying these kids are born in sin and deserve hell. That's a very difficult thing to wrestle with when you really love people. I I had a prison ministry and I would look at those men and I'll tell you what, it took everything in me not to weep in front of them. It it makes me sad to think of it now. But I know that those men, most of those men are raised in the inner city with not a great home life, not a great school life, gangs around them, don't feel secure, don't get to eat right, don't get a good education, all those things. And and you look at them and you say, is it any wonder that they found themselves in situations that they're in? I would be in the same situations or worse. And so now I don't think I have a, a secret message that can save them. And I'm trying to find my place in you know, how I can land more squarely and how I can love humanity. But I would say the biggest thing that's changed is the conflict there is gone. And I don't, I no longer have to hold those theological views of people. Uh, As far as my view of the church, I'm not too high on what the conservative churches teach. I'm more okay with the liberal churches and what they teach, because I don't think that they conflict politically and in, in the daily routine of life as the conservative views do. Things like global warming and antichrist issues and hell issues and, and those types of issues, they have great effect on life. And so I would find myself a friend, uh, similar to Jerry DeWitt, a friend of, of liberal Christians, also a friend of conservative. I mean, personally friend, I'm I mean, everybody around me is a conservative Christian. Everybody around me is a conservative Christian. And so I love those people. I get along with them. I'm a normal guy around them. But I would love to convince them (laughs) 
I would love to, to give him a piece of, of my mind, you know, and show him what I see. But uh, I think they don't want to engage with me much in that way. Mm. And Dennis? Well, I mean, I, I, I'd echo that. I mean, my love for humanity continues. If, if anything, actually, I think it's, it's deepened now that I really understand what a, what a human being is. Mm. Because, uh, I mean, previously, uh, you know, as, as Dan mentioned, I mean, we were, were lost, fallen, depraved, uh, deserving of hell. That's the message. One thing that I've discovered, actually, being an atheist is my own dignity, you know, um, as a human being, as an animal, as a thing, as a material thing, and realizing that that's not that does not devalue me. No matter of fact, it just makes me more amazing. Um, you know that I am this hunk of stuff that can think and reason and ask questions about the universe. I think it makes our human lives that much more precious when we realize that we're here for a sliver of time in an infinite universe. I, I think it makes people that much more special in general and really, as if anything, increase my compassion for them because I know that that you know that homeless guy on the corner. This is his one time through. Uh, he's never going to see this universe again. If anything, I think it, it really made me to uh, appreciate what humanism and, and humanitarianism is really all about. I think that, uh, but uh, if I address the, the church question and, and its role and the role of, of religion, organized religion now, I'd also echo that uh, liberals are, are really are friends of, of the secularist movement. I think that they're the force that helps to move the right over into more compassionate, more rational avenues, that becomes more benign. If anything, I really don't, I know that a lot of liberals will take offense, but I, I really don't consider liberals to be believers almost at all. Um, right. and, and the reason being is that their termination point for arguments, they're at least able to have a termination point for arguments that doesn't rest in the Bible. You can actually, hopefully, you can, you can reason with them. Now, having said that, they, they will believe some mystical and uh, nebulous things and and you have to guide them through but you know they're much more benign than conservatives i think the mm. church has a role to play especially the liberal churches in in social issues and becoming champions my mother is one of the kindest people on earth bar none runs a feeding program for young children and the elderly and the mentally handicapped and in Dominica and she's uh, there are a lot of people whose lives she's literally saved and improved so there's a place for people like her and what they do but religion overall I mean it, it, there's nothing good that it gives us and what it does give us it gives us the price of our dignity and I think that's a really bad deal no matter what way you slice it but yeah the, the liberals I can live with Mm, beautifully said. And Religious Tea, how have your views on organised religion changed? Organised religion still strikes me as kind of similar. I don't see the point in trying to fit everyone with a, a belief in a God under one umbrella label and you know, give them a force in that kind of way. But my view on religion as, as kind of an entity, as a, a part of a person's life, has changed drastically. You forget when you've no understanding of religion and what it means to people that you're talking about someone's almost personality. It's so intertwined with everything that they think, what they say, what they do. It motivates them to do so much. So any attack on any kind of um, yeah. any kind of religious belief is is really attack on someone personally. Yeah. And I think it's something so many people forget when they interact yeah. with um, people on Twitter or when they interact with people um, on the street and stuff like that. You, you're trying to get these points over each other, but really you're just punching people in the in the face absolutely um, <laughs> the one i remember the most was talking to a jehovah's witness and uh, she brought up the point about evolution and i was trying to explain about um, how it worked and how it's a, it's a fact of science and uh, it literally brought her to tears because i wasn't saying that evolution was true i was saying that her religion everything that she's invested her life in is wrong and if evolution is true there is no afterlife for her 
and literally right. no point. It's such a deep part of, of someone's whole personal life, whole outlook on the existence Absolutely. of everything. That's something that's, um, that's changed quite a lot with me. Right. There's one thing, actually. I just want to make one comment on what Religious T just said about mm. the depth of how far religion really goes for people. I, I mean, I came out as an atheist, really, just about a couple years ago. I moved into an apartment around that time, a new apartment, and I shut the door and realized for the first time in my life that I was actually alone, that there was nobody else in there, that when I had a thought, it was mine. I was a grown man. I mean, I'm 40 years old. I've never had a thought in my life that I thought was private, that every thought was audited. That's a, that's a huge mental weight. When I left the ministry, my whole cosmic existence, you know, the purpose of my existence was gone. I had a, a better, a larger purpose. My life meant something in the grand scheme of things. And when I left my faith, I left that behind. So when you do attack somebody on their religion, that's really what you're talking to them about. You're talking to them about every thought that they've had in their lives, everything that they are, and their purpose. And so it's it's something that I think we have to do with compassion. And it's something that I think that uh, I think every atheist, especially you know us more active atheists, need to acknowledge and be aware of when we want to interact with people. If we hope to accomplish something, mm. we, we can entertain ourselves. That's also fun. Uh, you know, it's good to have a, a good laugh. I mean, I love riding on Ray Comfort. I don't really try to uh, to be fair to him, but uh, uh, that's more for entertainment. But if you're really trying to accomplish something, I think you have to acknowledge that you're dealing. with the deepest parts of somebody's psyche and their purpose for life. And that has to be something that if we want to ha- accomplish something, we have to do with some respect and uh, compassion. Mm. Right. No, I agree. What, one of the things that occurred to me, and I was having to speak to somebody earlier about this on Twitter, from where do you derive your morality now? Definitely a humanist. And uh, I think I derive my morality from the brevity of my own existence and, and everybody else's around me and how I want to be treated. I think it's really quite simple to derive morality from, to borrow a phrase from caring about the, con- the well-being of conscious creatures. You know, that's, that's really where I get it. I think that's really what morality has to be about. I don't think you can derive morality except for thinking about the well-being of living people, of living, of conscious creatures. I would, uh, I like the quote from uh, the gladiator where he says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. I guess I kind of take off of that. When I'm on my deathbed, hopefully when I'm 95. I want to have as little regrets as I can. You know, I'm going to make mistakes. Those are going to happen. But I want to be a man who really loved people. What's huge to me is empathy. Empathy amongst social creatures like us who are very different in a lot of ways. When, when you have empathy, when you make empathy the, the center of your moral system, there's so much room for understanding and trying to get into their skin, the other people's skin, and understand where they're coming from and be able to, to feel with them and, and to be able to be patient with them. And, and so I'm not always empathetic, that's for sure. It's something I, I strive for. I think there's a preacher in there still somewhere. Yeah, I'll, say, <laughs> yeah. I'll say amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> and religious tea, you're well known for having no morals at all. So where do you uh, <laughs> where do you manage to avoid them? I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> so religious tea, where do you get your morality, and what have you learned throughout um, the year? I think most morality for everyone is kind of inbuilt. It's like Dan said, it's it's built on empathy. You see what your actions do to people and you you assess that that, that information and um, build on it. There's lots of things I've read that I've gone, that's changed something I've thought and that's based on new information. So I would say morality is largely empathy and knowledge. With The more knowledge you have, the better you can do. We don't call a child who draws on the wall immoral because they're doing an action that's outside their knowledge. 
But we say an adult with more knowledge, that would be not immoral, I suppose, but, you know, certainly, certainly irritating. The more that you build, the more of the knowledge, the more that you process the information that you see around you, the better you can do. Uh, and have you got any final thoughts on how the recovering pastors are doing? That's to ask a question. Dan said it was hell that did it. Like you said, with, with um, religion being so inbuilt in your personality, it's such a big move going from belief to non-belief. Bigger than I think a lot of people probably understand and probably only yourself yourself truly understand but what was the big thing that that started that journey well i'll tell you what started it was i uh was thinking actually about moving to the ghetto taking my family there and becoming like in-state missionaries and because the church especially the the white middle class suburban church does not do much with inner city i saw a need i had a heart i had already been in the jails and i had just started talking to my wife about the possibility of doing that when you think about doing things like that and also i was thinking about starting my own church um, i was having issues at my church and so when you start thinking about doing things like that you really start to count the cost not that i was the issue was i was simply just a coward and i didn't want to do it but when when you're getting ready to do things like that you better be sure you believe what you you say you believe because it's not your butt it's your family's it's your kids you know and so that caused me to raise my head and look around and really start to to take the approach of well i gotta really find out and interestingly enough uh francis schaefer was my inspirement inspired me though he's dead now but reading his books he actually took a, a one-year respite when he was in his 30s as a pastor and went into a willing agnosticism and uh, he had to figure out if it was all true and so I took his cue on that and I decided to go that route and so here I am looking back though I had already not believed I totally agree with Jerry DeWitt when he says atheism is a realization uh, it's not something that you wake up and you say okay I'm an, I'm going to be an atheist it's a realization it's something that I finally faced and said I'm an atheist I, I, I don't believe this it's a tough step so gents is there anything else you'd like to add anything you'd like to plug so Dennis uh, no nothing really to plug follow me at son of Samuel that's about it <laughs> and hope to see everybody online beautiful at pastor apostate Dan um, I got a budding website it's a WordPress blog if you visit my uh, Twitter you know just a final parting word uh, especially anybody that's on Twitter uh, just really echo what Dennis said about how how to deal with people and you know we all like to have our fun but just to realize these these are real people that we're dealing with that are just caught in walls you know caught makes it sound like they're just a prisoner but just to see people as real people when you're dealing with them and you know these are fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters that have psyches wrapped up in this whole thing and so if you say you're a humanist apply your humanism to how you deal with christians very good point and religious tea it's just always nice to be here so thank you for having me again oh it's a pleasure in fact i think i might be having you on again very shortly uh, but you can be followed at Religious Tea, and uh, you've also got some sort of blog arrangement. Do you want to re- give us an address? Religioustourist.wordpress.com. Right, best avoided. Very well, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your experiences. Wish you all the best with it. Anything I can do to help to publicise a cause or something, then by all means get in touch with me. Take care, Thanks, everybody. Adam. All the best. Pleasure. See you later. Bye bye.
Ladies and gentlemen, down the line with me once again, the religious uh, tourist. How are you, sir? Terrorist. (laughs) (laughs) Very well. Very well. How are you? Yes, very well. Thanks. We're recording this over two days. Are you a little bit less mucus membrane-y? No, more. More? More. Okay, well, this is going to be an equally punishing edit. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. And also down the line, we've got Pastor Ryan Bell. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Now, we know everything about religious tea. Everything there is to know has been documented in painstaking detail on this podcast. (laughs) But we know very little about you other than your blog. So rather than me tell everybody about you, why don't you tell everyone about yourself? Ah, sure. Yeah, I'm um, formerly a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. That was basically my only career um, for the last almost 20 years. Over that time, you know, sort of evolved in my viewpoints from being a pretty mainstream member of the Adventist church to the point where I was quite a liberal Christian and ended up being too liberal for the Adventist church in the end and resigned my job a year ago, almost exactly on March 30th, 2013. I uh, resigned at my church at the request or the insistence of the denomination and then spent nine months just trying to figure out what I'm going to do next and came up to the end of last year and sort of off the cuff said to a friend, I think I'll just be an atheist for a year without really any forethought or planning or even clarity in my own mind about what that would be, what I would do or how that would look. So for the last three months, I've been basically living out of my suspicion that there is not a God in the way that mainstream evangelical Orthodox Christian believers feel that there is a God, like the beingness of God, a supernatural being. And uh, instead, really spending time looking at science and philosophy, some literature, though I haven't gotten far in that department. Like how other people that don't believe in God view the world. What does it look like from the other side of the tracks, so to speak? And what have you found so far? Well, the world is quite beautiful. I think Christians have the idea sometimes that anyone who doesn't believe in God is living a very meaningless, bleak, nihilistic existence, one step short of suicide, really you know, disappointed and angry and frustrated and hates God. And and I really haven't found that. You know, I've found in the science community, for example, a great deal of uh, of wonder and joy and just excitement at the beauty of the world, the beauty of the universe, the mystery of it all, and the, the challenge it is to our understanding. I would say in the philosophical community, you know, just an endless <laughs> amount of conjecture and thoughts about religion and philosophy and and atheism and all of the rest. So there's just a lot to do. I find it very stimulating intellectually. On the other hand, it's been a little exhausting personally. It's been a little depressing and deflating and exhausting in terms of dealing with the public nature of what I set out to do. So yeah, it's sort of been all over the map. All, All in all, it's been good. I feel like I've been freed from the constraints of a certain kind of religious upbringing. And on the other hand, there's nothing there to replace it per se. So there's a sense of a, hmm. a big void. Well, there's, there's podcasts. <laughs> yes. Lots of them, it turns out. <laughs> it's not uncommon when people leave the faith. Jerry DeWitt, the two pastors we had on yesterday, being Dan, pastor apostate and, and at son of Samuel. When making a conscious decision to leave the faith, there is a very real sense of depression and loss. Yeah, there definitely is. I'm writing about it right now. I'll probably that. But that's not all you lost when you decided to do this. No, no. I mean, I lost what remaining work, gainful employment that I had. Uh, I've lost friends. Not overtly, I should say. I haven't lost friends as in friends said to me, I'll never speak to you again. It's more like 
I'm outside of that world of, of church and Christianity. And as a consequence, I just don't cross paths with those folks anymore. It's sort of like if you have neighbors that you're close to and then you move to another neighborhood, they're not particularly angry at you for moving, but you just don't see them anymore. Mm. So, I mean, I'm sure some people are frustrated with me and are intentionally not speaking to me. I don't happen to know that for a fact, but mostly it's just been circumstantially the loss of friendships and acquaintances. And so I find myself fairly alone with my thoughts. So, Religious T, your thoughts looking... Where the pasture or the pastor is greener on the other side. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I was generally interested when, when I first came across it. And my job's a lot easier. I kind of look at a religion and having 12 as well is a lot easier. It's always broken up. So you you join it, you find a little bit out about it. You, you take part in some of the rituals, you meet some of the people. It's fairly easy to do. I've never felt the pressure to actually believe anything that I'm I'm doing, as in like believing in what the rituals are out to do. And, and anything like that has been a bonus. Whereas atheism, and I think, most people will kind of say it's, it's simply a lack of belief in God. And I was interested in how you would actually stretch something out of a year. And it would only make sense if you were, you were coming at the end of, if you were coming to a point in your life where you, you had doubts in your own belief and uh, you're going to try and cut it off and leave your community. It doesn't um, sound like the sort of thing that perhaps Joel Osteen or Pastor John Hagee would have a crack at. Well, they would have a really hard time. I mean, presuming that they are true believers, which there's no reason to think that they're not, although performers do performatively enter into things that maybe in their more private moments they confess to not being totally into. But assuming for the moment that John Hagee and Joel Osteen and, and those guys, I mean, a, another good example might be Rick Warren, who I, I happen to think really is a true believer. For them to enter into atheism for a year would be really tricky because the question would be, how do you not believe something that you actually do believe? Um, mm. Which was the question that was put to me in the beginning, like how can you pretend not to believe something that you in fact do believe? There's two responses to that for me. One is that my belief was really on the rocks, you know. But the other answer to that, I think, is that performatively, again, we can enter into a state of, that we suspend one set of ideas and embrace another. Cognitive dissonance. Sure. And I think I was experiencing cognitive dissonance on the other side, on the believing side. And for me to enter into atheism for a year was more like sort of stepping out of the cognitive dissonance. For someone like Rick Warren, it would probably be stepping into a kind of cognitive dissonance but we do that every time we go into a movie that is fictional. The suspension of disbelief, yeah. The suspension of disbelief, right, where we say, oh, there are no hobbits and orcs and wizards, but, but for Possibly. the next... No, 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 no. Aeon, I, I have a book about this. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so for three hours, we pretend like there are in our minds so that we can enjoy the movie. Yeah, exactly. And you can even come out of a movie like that saying there was truth communicated, Yeah, right? well, we, we have a, yeah. a record of it. <laughs> Exactly. You're doing marvellous things with CGI. How did the atheist community react when you made your announcement? The reaction was fairly diverse. I mean, I think most people said kudos, you know, on questioning your beliefs. We wish more Christians would do that. There were a few outspoken atheists who said, you can't really do what you're saying you're doing. And so as a consequence, they thought it was a hoax or a scam or a, a stunt. The most, as you might predict, the most outspoken atheist who slammed me was PZ Myers, who I think said it was absolutely ridiculous. Well, see, what you've done is made a lot of noise and a lot of Christians will have heard about it and sat up and taken notice. 
So um, that in itself, I think, is beneficial for the community at large. Sure. I mean, it puts the conversation on the map. And I think what I'm trying to do is stand in the gap, as it were, and really say to Christians, no, you're not understanding what atheists actually believe or don't, in this case, don't believe or what they actually stand for. Or don't stand for. Or don't stand for, right. So, (laughs) Christian, so I just wrote a blog post this morning about this crazy movie here in America that came out called um, God's Not Dead, and it's about, it's a Christian movie made by Christians about a college sophomore who takes an intro to philosophy class, and the philosophy professor is an adamant atheist, and he declares on the first day of class, there is no God. Write that down in your notes. There is no God. And the one kid says, I can't do that because I'm a Christian. And he forces him to defend himself in front of the whole class. And this bully atheist professor, it's just, you know, difficult to really enter into that that narrative in any kind of realistic way because the movie assumes things about atheists that just really, for the most part, aren't true. Um, But yeah, be that as it may, that's the perception you can take away from it by setting up the premise of it and painting the atheist in a certain light. And look, this may well happen. It may well be based on a real person. I was watching Cosmos with the lady friend last night. In the very first episode, it depicts a scientist in Italy who travels around trying to say, you know what, we might not be the centre of the universe. Mm. And his persecution that goes on and on and on for a number of years. And that didn't paint the organized religion in a very positive light either. Right. And that was the premise from the get-go. I suppose there's a little more evidence to suggest that it actually happened <laughs> right. in, in this case than this God is not dead film. Right. I mean, I think one is based in a historical fact, and I'm not saying that, you know, the dark eyeshadow around the church council didn't suggest that they were really demonic <laughs> so so you're saying that there's perhaps historical science and uh, uh no what's the other <laughs> one <laughs> what is it what is that yeah ken ham historical science and observable science. observable mm. science right as opposed mm. to just real science or just real as opposed to real science yeah well what's remarkable to me about the christian community as it comes to science is that i've always been trained as a christian theologian that we follow the evidence wherever it leads and we're not afraid truth can stand up to investigation but when it comes to science it's it's sort of like truth can't stand up to investigation or they create a, a kind of i mean i think ken ham's just a bad example a christian <laughs> of a christian. humanity really. <laughs> right but even of a of a of a, of a christian science a believing scientist like if you really want to debate a scientist who believes in god you could pick somebody less caricatured than than ken ham mm. um Uh, Yeah, they've set up a big museum, so they've kind of made themselves a target. Well, you know, part of my experience has been hearing from lots of people, even as recently as a couple days ago, that this is all a big stunt and I'm just doing it to make make money, which I would still, you know, I would love to see even just a fraction of the money that people think I'm making. But (laughs) yeah, currently not employed at all and down to my last few hundred dollars. But I'm wondering, you know, with religious tourists, if you are sort of more like on the surface saying this is kind of a you're not taking it seriously you're not seriously considering joining one of these religions so how has been the response to your project my perception of the whole thing has changed drastically from when i first started the project to now i mean i was aiming to do it in a year but um my calendar's broken so it's um it's now a year and a month and i've got two more religions left after this one um (laughs) things have took a little bit longer than i expected but my aim at the start i think was to make myself laugh to find out about kind of religions as well because 
I was I was ignorant to any religions other than probably Christianity. Mm. Um, so I wanted to kind of find that out. And one of the aims was I wanted to write a book. That was one of the things. But the more I've done it, the more I've realised that the gap between all people, between everyone who's religious and those that aren't, is so small. On the whole, I mean, you always have kind of fringe people who, unfortunately, the loudest people speak for everyone. But the majority of the people that you meet have exactly the same lives, pretty much the exact same wants, pretty much the exact same fears. I've kind of got to the point where I don't see religion as a thing anymore. People are just mm. living their everyday lives as as best they can, and we all take advice from different kind of places, and that's that's one of the things that, that's one of the ways they do it, and they organise themselves and they pat each other on the back, but if you talk to ten Christians, they've got exactly ten different views of what Christianity is. There's no organisation to it. We're just or individuals finding our way we are all finding our way in individuals the <laughs> yes yes well said if i can make a little commentary on religious tea i'm not sure pastor bell if you've heard of some of his exploits religious tea set out to do each religion as seriously and as um, honestly as possible and yet there was very little turban wearing as a Sikh. <laughs> there was very little circumcision as a Jew. Mm. Wow. Uh, so he's not taking it seriously. No. And I, see, this is my this is my beef with it. I, I just think it's a very half-assed effort. Ah. For this. I'd rather be half-assed than half-cocked. <laughs> <laughs> Which you would be if you had taken Judaism more seriously. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes, no defense there from re- religious tea. I think well, he, uh, the, problem just, is, yeah. the problem is, you want me to die at the end of every single month. Well, isn't that and how most religions end up? Have I got this wrong? I think you've got it wrong. Uh, I think I nearly died at the end of Islam, and then you thought, that was brilliant. I'd like him to nearly die at the end of other ones. And then other ones have been nice. I was a pagan after that, and that was just lovely and delightful. And then mm. I was a Satanist, and that's just, you know, improving philosophy to yourself and mm. improving your own um, views towards um, how you treat your carnal desires and how you're honest with your with yourself. And all you wanted to hear is, well, have you caught something? Have, have you, you lost a leg? <laughs> is Is your penis intact? Why is it intact? What do you mean you're not wearing a hat? Um, <laughs> so, you know, I don't th- it, it all I don't paints think a you're picture, religious tea. <laughs> uh, look, I do admire what you're doing, religious tea, because <laughs> most people would never think, and certainly believers would never think to try a different religion, unless, of course, you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're trying to sort of cross-sell from one religion to another by saying, well, hang on. What you believe in, well, there's a hell. But what we believe in, it's pretty much the same thing, with it, but without the hell. Why don't you mm. come and try that? A that, component that of cross-selling nice. there. But in, in attitude to question, Ryan, mm. the, the reception of I've got, it's been pretty good. I, I'm sure people have their personal dislikes of what I'm doing, but I, I think because I've gone kind of lightheartedly towards it, my investigation has always been talking to other people and what their own perceptions of their own religion and kind of reporting on that. But I suppose just think of me as like a sexy Louis Theroux, just kind of finding different... <laughs> people and chatting to them and reporting back so it's, it's been okay i think everyone in the atheist community i think has been that i've spoken to has been genuinely interested in it they don't always know about these religions as well and some things they've been surprised at some things they've not mm. i will echo that sentiment every time i speak to you religious tea i learn something new there's always something there's a preconception that i've had about pretty much every single different religion you've tried that you've given me pause to reconsider mm. I, th- I think i probably went in with the same preconceptions that um you is yeah it's nice to it's nice to live and that's that's always been the aim it's been the first aim always with pretty much everything i do is to try and make myself laugh and then the second is um try and learn something along the way and hopefully that's what we've done i'm looking at your uh your twitter feed you have you've been so prolific Thirteen thousand 
tweets and 2,700 followers, I only have, man, I'm starting to feel jealous now. <laughs> you have way more followers than me. I only have 318 tweets. I need to get with the program here. 318, what have you been doing? <laughs> I think you might. I don't know. I think you might find you might pick up a few after, after <laughs> doing the rounds on the podcasts. Yeah, I always yes. lose some. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, help a brother out. You know, like uh, you know, link link me up. Although you did that, I, I did. I did that at the start. I, I had to send you a DM, didn't I? I said this on the podcast yesterday that um, when I saw it, I was genuinely interested in it. I thought, I thought to be honest, people that followed what I was doing would be interested in it as well. And then I got about twenty, thirty followers. Kind of just go, well, this is fake. Well, this is a crock of shit. And I, had to, I remember DM them, and you have to go. Well, I didn't expect that. I, I really apologize. <laughs> yeah, but people it don't what, read the bio. What I'm doing is a crock of shit? Yeah, yeah, because they said some of the reactions that you got. I kind of told everyone to follow you and linked your account in. And uh, certainly from um, on the feed that I set up, there was about 20 or 30 followers of mine saying that this, this isn't real, this is a hoax. How can you do this? This That's doesn't so make sense. It's so funny that they would do that. They would say you can't try atheism, but you can try 12 different religions in a year. <laughs> I think it's just because people are very guarded over the definition of atheism, that it's just simply a lack of belief. The second right. that they give up that kind of that ground to say that actually maybe more comes with it, they've, they've, there's suddenly a position to defend. I, would, I am that person that thinks that atheism is simply a lack of belief. I don't think there's anything else to it. I don't identify with um, any other atheist in any other way other than that we might share other common themes but it's not part of atheism so I can understand why people are a bit defensive on it my point isn't that it comes with a bunch of other things my point is actually the same as yours which is there are as many different ways of exploring what it would mean to live a life without God as there are people who are living a life without God you know so there are people who really come by their their conviction that there's no God through science and others through just they never were raised with religion. And there is a particular way of seeing the world when you don't believe there are gods or believe, you know, or just don't have a belief in a God than you would if you believe there is a God. The world looks different from those two different perspectives. I think the reason perhaps people jumped on the exchange and the recommendation that people follow you is because they saw the word pastor and they didn't read any further than that. That's what Twitter is. You glance oh. over it and you go, oh, he's a pastor. Right, it's game on. He has a position to defend. Yeah, when you referred to me as a pastor when we first started this conversation, it's the first time anybody's referred to me as a pastor in probably six months. <laughs> and it, it was a little jarring. Like I was like, oh, wow, he's calling me pastor. I've never... That, that feels like something I've left behind a long time ago, and it just surprised me. Ex-pastor. Yeah, former pastor, ex-pastor, which is, I don't, you know, and I don't for very long identify with my, myself with something I'm not. I guess never... In fact, I was a big advocate when I was a pastor, encouraging my church members not to define themselves over against something. Like, in other words, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm a person who doesn't believe in evolution. I would rather say, what do you, you know, define yourself by what you are, not by what you aren't. And atheism is, by its very definition, something that you aren't. Um, yes. You aren't a believer in a god. And like you were saying, religious tea, like I think there are an infinite, really infinite number of ways to be a person that doesn't believe in God. It's just one tiny aspect of an otherwise diverse group of people. I agree with that. So yeah, it's in the same way that for a month I can look into one part of that kind of religion. For the year, you'll look into one your individual journey into lack of belief. Right. Yeah, I can't see anything wrong with that. Um, it's, I think it's generally interesting. Yeah, I think if um, I were a person who was using this experience in a deceptive way to then write a book at the end of the year to say, oh, 
atheists are foolish and everybody needs to become a Christian, that would be a really shitty thing to do. And I would be, I think, deserving of whatever hostility people wanted to, to send my way. But I even had a lot of people angry, like, oh, he just wants to write a book at the end of the year. And I, like you, started out by saying, I want to write a book at the end of the year. Yeah. And then people were like, oh, you're just trying to write a book at the end of the year. And I said, yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, that's just... And I'm like, really? But people write books, right? Like, there are people who write books for a living, so... I'm not sure why that's such a horrible thing. And, and these experiences you're having are your own. It's right. entirely reasonable, I think, for you to write a book and document your first-hand experiences. So have people attacked you for wanting to write a book? No. <laughs> no. I've, I've had people saying they can't wait to read it. Well, I've had that too, but I've just uh, there's just a couple of people uh, you know, that have stayed on it, journalists, you know, and I know a bunch of people who have said, oh, I see, he just wants to write a book at the end of the year. But good for I've, you. I don't think I've actually had the exposure you've had. I mean, the fact that you're getting um, slammed by PZ Myers, and I've seen quite a few articles um, written about you, less people seem to give a shit about what I'm doing than, uh, about than your thing. So when there's, when there's more people um, to talk about it, you're going to have you know, a wider variety of uh, opinions on it. The problem with my um, project is there's no one to give an opinion on it. It's just me and Adam talking every month. That's it. No one else cares. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not the audience. They all Except for out. the 5,000 or 10,000 people that are following you on Twitter or whatever it is. Mm. <laughs> so one of the things, just to drag it back a little, ex-Pastor Bell, that you <laughs> mentioned was that you, you're down to very few dollars. Mm. How are you getting by? Um, well, I'm getting by on the, the remnants of the generosity of thousands of people who contributed to that crowdfunding thing that Hemet Meta did, which was great. Very much appreciated. And I'm doing a little bit of speaking here and there and writing, which is a few hundred dollars here and there each month. And I'm, yeah, hoping that I get a job in the next couple of weeks. Is there a way that perhaps listeners of the show could contribute and help? Yeah. I mean, I have... In the beginning, I posted my PayPal account on my blog, and a few people contributed generously there as well. So people could um, donate, and if you know, the reason, like, what would they be donating to? Well, they, they, I guess, they would be donating to someone doing research for a year, just like any other journalist who is going to take a year and look into any topic as a researcher. So, if people wanted to do that, that would be that would be lovely. I have another couple of friends who are raising money. We're doing a documentary. There's a couple of guys that wanted to do a documentary about my journey and they're raising money for the film, which doesn't benefit me. But yeah, there's a number of projects that people could be supportive of if they wanted to. Where can we find out about these? It's all documented on your blog? Yeah, it's on my blog. I mean, my PayPal is just my email address, uh, which is rjbell at me.com. That's my, my PayPal. On my blog, there's all the information under the media tab. On my blog, there is a link to the trailer for or the teaser for the documentary. And there's not yet a Kickstarter campaign for that, but there will be in the next few days. Mm. Well, I think it's an admirable cause, what you're doing. And I think thank, thank that you. you shouldn't be hamstrung for trying to seek truth and question your own beliefs. So anyone who's listening who is so inclined, and I hope a lot of people are, just a few dollars. So that's sure. R.J. Bell, B-E-L-L, at M-E dot com. Send through a few dollars. It'd be much appreciated. Go a long way, I would think. Absolutely. Yeah, at this point, like, I'm, I'm very happy to just keep my daughters afloat and pay my rent, you know? So mm. it'd be great. Very well. Religious tea, any closing thoughts? I've got one question to ask. 
lay it on us. What's your view on God's existence at this point? <clears throat> yes, that's the question everybody wants to, to know. It really depends on sort of the epistemological frame, to use that big word, I guess, one has. I think from an empirical point of view where, you know, the scientists who are prominent atheists come from, and I would have said this even when I was a pastor, I suppose, that there is no empirical evidence for a god or gods of any kind. It seems to me the more that I study science that there are explanations for things in the universe and the things that we don't know, there is usually a god of the gaps argument that holds until we figure it out. So I, I guess from an empirical point of view, I don't find evidence of god existing um, which doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't a God. It just means that I don't, and I think most people don't find the evidence for it. So the question remains for me, is there other other, other ways of thinking about knowing things? How is it that we know what we know, uh, which is the study of epistemology, that would allow for there to be a God? But even in the, under those circumstances, that there might be an epistemological frame for that would allow for God's existence, it certainly isn't something that you could, at least from my perspective at this point, insist that others believe. That really the, the existence of God or the questions, question of God's existence boils down to subjectivity. People choose to believe in God because it makes sense of the evidence for them. Certainly not something you can point to and say, every time I drop this apple, it falls to the ground, therefore gravity exists. And I insist that you acknowledge it, <laughs> or gravity exists that you acknowledge it, you know, otherwise you're going to get hurt. So there's not that kind of evidence for God. Um, I don't think anybody would argue that there is, and yet a lot of Christians But just do. look around you. Just look at the trees. Just look, right. at, <laughs> just look at life. Of course there's evidence. It's everywhere. Well, but what's amazing <laughs> about that, and I, I've said that before, and I've, I was at a conference, speaking at a conference the other day. It was right on the coast in California on this cliff overlooking the ocean. It was the most beautiful scene I'd, I had witnessed in a long time. And I was joking with my friend, you know, just look out that window. If you're not an atheist now, you will be if after you have a look at that view. Like, that's the most <laughs> beautiful thing that you'll ever see. And it's interesting because I, what's what's been fascinating to me is I've listened to atheists talk about the world and the universe, it seems to me that they would argue that, yes, the world is as beautiful as any theist says it is, and, and it's, it's sort of inspiring to them in the same way as it would be inspiring to someone who believes in God. They just don't attribute it to God. They would just say, it's a miracle almost that we're here. Like The odds of us being here are so small and yet here we are, and that's something to be grateful for. And you don't need to, that gratitude doesn't need to be directed towards a person or a being. You can just feel grateful to be here. Mm. You know, the odds of us being here are one, <laughs> because we're here. But mm. the, od the odds of us existing, yes, I, I see what you're saying. After the fact, after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that, I, mean, yeah. I mean, here we are. So it was, it was a snide, are. snide remark. Yeah, you still yeah. a bookie? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to play the bet. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> pastor, ex-pastor Ryan Bell, your blog is... Yearwithoutgod.com. Beautiful. So, guys, go and check out ex-pastor Bell and uh, avoid religious tea if at all possible. <laughs> Ryan, thank you very much for coming on the show. You too, religious tea. Oh, it's yeah. been great to be here yeah. with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.